So this morning we're going to be looking at this passage, No More Troubled Hearts, a passage that is very familiar to many of us from many different perspectives, a story that uh, comes out of that the Passion Week. It's a story that to understand chapter 14, we need to understand chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. In fact, chapters 13 to 17, you could almost just remove the chapter headings because it's the evening together, that last night together before the crucifixion. And, and it flows uh, as, as one continuous reading. And as we think about the context that, that we have there in, in, this, in this chapter, we, um, we need to remember the dialogue that's gone on in chapter 13. And so when we think about what's happened there, you can flip over a page or two and, and you will see that um, Jesus has washed the feet of the, of the disciples as they've gathered together for their Passover meal. And then they have the meal together. Um, he speaks of the betrayal that's going to happen by one of the twelve. And we know from the other other uh, records in the other Gospels where it they're turning to each other and, and saying, is it I? Maybe they're saying, is it you? Um, they, they got John to ask Jesus as he leaned towards Jesus to ask him uh, to, to, to get some hint of it. But, but they still didn't all know that it, it was going to be Judas. He speaks of his imminent, his imminent leaving, that he's not going to be with them for very much longer. And some of them caught on maybe that, that maybe he means by this that, that he's, going, he's going to be with them for a couple months, maybe a year, maybe a couple of weeks. But also, they also knew that there was some restlessness going on, and they knew that the persecution was coming from the Jewish leaders, and that maybe his time was coming up very, very quickly, but they didn't think it was going to be necessarily the next day during Passover. And he gives them the new commandment. The new commandment. The old new commandment. To love one another. So there he is in the midst of, of all his own turmoil and struggles, and he wants to make sure if there's one thing that they remember, that they will remember to love one another. And he continues that later on in chapters 15, 16, 17. And then he, at the end of that chapter of 13, he predicts the betrayal of, of uh, Peter. Peter's going to deny him. And Peter has that dialogue with, with him. Uh, never, never, Lord. I'm not going to betray you. There are 12 disciples there. At some point, we know that Judas has slipped out. Is no longer there. Many of the disciples, we don't know much about their story. We know some of the traditions. There's books that are written uh, recording some of the supposed activities of what happened to them afterwards. We don't know a lot about their lives. Uh, Thomas is one that, that we hear from on occasion. In fact, there's three uh, records of, of him speaking. Um, we're going to come back to Thomas in, in a few minutes, but uh, he's there and, and he has his comments to make. Uh, Philip is there. Again, we only have one other reference to Philip. But on the other hand, some of the other disciples we know absolutely nothing about from the Gospels. And these two are part of, of chapter 14 as they enter into this dialogue with Jesus. 
So Jesus is there trying to prepare them to get them ready because he's leaving them very, very shortly. They're still struggling, trying to understand all of his teachings. And even after three years of being with them, they still don't always get it. Many of them are are living in the concrete world and they're, they're trying to understand some abstract concepts. It doesn't always fit in with their way of, of thinking and Jesus' way of thinking. And so they sometimes miss each other and Jesus has to stop and, and explain to them. But they've had the three years with Jesus. And now he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. After what's happened in chapter 13, we know that their hearts may be starting to get troubled because of, of the things he's just told them. The betrayals that are going to take place in their, in their very midst after three years of knowing each other. And that Jesus is leaving and, they, and, and, and that must be stirring something within them. And, and so they, they are struggling and, and, and he knows that if they're not struggling at this moment, they're going to be struggling over the next two or three days. And so he speaks these words of peace to them. Let not your hearts be troubled. This passage that we have before us in the following verses is is what I would call pastoral passages. Oftentimes this passage has been used in evangelistic circles and and, and calling people to repentance and and, and reminding them that that, if you only believe, uh, then you'll get a a place in heaven. Or it's used in a funeral uh, as people are reminded of, God, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. But really this passage is about Jesus' pastoral heart. It comes from Isaiah. Comfort ye my people. People need a comforting word spoken to them. That life isn't easy, that life is tough, and life is, has many difficulties. It has joy, but it also has these other moments. comes from the same one who said, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Come to me and take my yoke upon you, because my yoke is easy and light, and I will give you rest for your souls. So it's this pastoral heart that Jesus is coming and speaking to the disciples and and calling them uh, to this, this comfort that he is, in spite of leaving them, he is going to be with them. The heart, cardia in, in the New Testament Greek language, cardiac arrest, where we get the same word. And yes, it's about that muscle, that pump that that's pumping the blood through your, 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 your very veins and, and the core of your being. But we use it, and, and it's been used throughout the ages to talk about far more than that physical pump. And it's... It's often used to describe the soul, the spirit. It's about the thoughts, the passions, the desires, our appetites, our affections. It's about love. It's about our endeavors. It's about our will and our character. Uh, Last week I was leading uh, a couple of seminars, and and one of the seminars uh, we were talking about keeping healthy in the midst of... of, um, the pandemic, and I was speaking to leaders from a, a large social agency here in the city. 
And, uh, and one of them interrupted and said, so, and I can't remember what exactly I said to stimulate the question, but the question was, what's the difference between the brain and the mind? A great question. I wasn't ready for it. It wasn't in my notes. Um, but the brain is there. It's concrete. It's real. We can explore it. We can operate on it. We can, we can test it out. We can put little electrodes and see how it works and, and try to understand how it's connected to the rest of the body and, 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 and all the different parts, components to it and how it works. Sometimes we talk, talk about it as being this mega computer. Um, but it, 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 it's flesh. The mind is different. The mind is like the heart. The mind is, is that abstract idea that we have that, that, that tries to describe um, the ability to be creative, the, the ability for ideas, the, the ability uh, for thought beyond just step-by-step -step processes. Uh, one's the, the, the ability to think out of the box, the, the ability to, to express the emotions. Um, what's going on in your mind? We ask each other. What are you thinking about? Because it, 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 it takes it beyond just that, that physical realm, and it's part of describing who we are as humans. The mind, the heart, it's part of describing that image of God that's there within us, that, that is bubbling over and, 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 and ha has to find its expression in, in, in various ways, and, and, and emotions are part of that. And Jesus is knowing that that's what's going on with the disciples, and so he's concerned about their heart, emotions. As opposed to, I mean, we, we never say, um, oh, my brain is broken. We don't say, my, my brain aches. We feel it here, somewhere inside of us. We, we, we can't pinpoint exactly this, this, this inner heart that, that, that is feeling emotions and, and, and pain and suffering, as well as joy and gladness and laughter and happiness. Um, it's there within us. And Jesus is sensitive to what the disciples are feeling. And so he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Continue to believe in God and continue to believe in me. That's the, 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 the verb tenses. He's not calling for something new when he says, uh, believe in God, believe also in me. They already do. And he's saying, continue in this faith. This is what's going to get through you. Your faith is going to bring you through the difficult times that, are, that, that you're about to experience, whether you're aware of it or not. Your body's telling you something that, 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 that not everything is good right now. Listen to it, but also remember that, that again, part of that, that heartfelt feeling it comes faith. Faith is something that, that, that this belief that we have in God, that, that there's a power beyond us that, that is reaching out to us, that, that wants to have a relationship with us. Faith is that, that times when it doesn't make sense, but we've got to believe. We've got to have something to hold on to. Faith is something that, that comes at different levels at different times in our lives. And sometimes it's powerful and strong, and, and nothing is going to shake it. And other times, it's weak and we have doubts. 
And we sometimes are fearful. And yet Jesus says to them, believe in me. I'm going to get you through this. And in the midst of all this, Jesus himself is going through his own turmoil. He knows that he's going to be arrested. He knows that he's going to be beaten. He knows he's going to be suffered, suffering. He knows he's going to, to, to be facing illegal, unjust trials. He knows that he is going to be nailed to the cross within 15, 16 hours. And he knows he's going to die. In the middle of that, he's saying to his disciples, trust, believe in me. We're going to get you through this. But then he says to them, in my father's house are many, depending on your translations, many of us remember the old King James, many mansions. Some of them, newer translations, says dwelling places. Some of them say rooms. Uh, some of them uh, talk about abodes where we abide. The King James got it right initially when it said mansions because back five, six hundred years ago when it was written, it was, I guess, five hundred years ago. Uh, it, it, uh, mansions didn't mean what it means today. It just mean, meant a place to live. But maybe because of our understanding of, of thinking that that God only gives us good things. Gradually, mansions became our understanding of these big houses that are beyond what we need to live in. I sometimes drive past some of the, the monster homes or, or in some of the areas throughout the city. And I, I remember in particular seeing some up by um, our church up in Gormley, some of the huge homes uh, off of uh, Stouffville Side Road. And, uh, and looking at them, and, and then I was curious, so I, I typed in just because they were just being built. I wanted to know how much they, they cost. And this was 20-some-odd years ago. Um, uh, and, and now those prices would be discount prices. <laughs> um, but they, what caught me off guard was that they were listed as single-family dwellings. At the time, working amongst street youth and knowing that the hostel situations downtown, thinking we have hostels that are smaller than these big single-family dwellings that have uh, housing for 80 men. And so sometimes we, 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 we have, our language has changed from just having a dwelling place. I got a mansion just over the hilltop. And we, we have these dreams that God is giving us this huge blessing. Um, but it, what it is, is it, 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 the best way to understand it is, is this idea of, of dwelling place, a place where you live, a place where you call home. He says, I, I go to prepare a place for you there. Again, my experience over the last few years, again, is I, I, I got back to working directly with, with the homeless for a while. Around 10,000 in the city of Toronto. We have shelter beds for around 6,500. We know that there are others that 
that are in and out of the shelter systems. Uh, there are ones that, that uh, couch surf every April. There is there's this huge, massive effort uh, by all the agencies in the city to, to do a count of how many homeless there are. And we still know that, that somewhere between six and 800 of them are living hard on the street at any given night uh, throughout the year in this great, rich city of ours. The shelter that we have at Scott Mission before the pandemic at 72 men because of spacing and trying to make it safe, it went down to 41 men, providing a safe place for them. It's about a safe place. It's about providing a warm bed. It's for providing hot meals, a shower, laundry, but not home. It's a shelter. It's meant to be temporary. Other agencies have been involved, such as Sanctuary, with caring for, for, for those that are hard on the street, living hard on the street with tents and, and other supplies. It's temporary. It's not meant to be home. And yet we have this desire, this innate desire to find home. That, that we, we, we are longing for something more. We are longing for a place of, of safety. We are longing for a place of belonging, a place where we are, are accepted. And that's that word there that's being used, that mane, that I need a place where I can call myself at home, comfortable, and be myself. And that's the place that Jesus is going to, to prepare for you and I. He's going to provide a place where you belong. And that place is a place where Jesus and the Father and the Spirit dwell. That he's gone to prepare this place for us so that we can have a place where we can experience what it means to be a child of God. That he's going to hold us close One of the commentators said, it's a permanent home from which eviction is impossible. That's my heavenly home. Not that I'm ever going to be evicted from the home I'm in, as far as I know. But others have experienced eviction. I know them by name, some of them. Some of you know people by name. Maybe you've been in that place at some point in your own life. And God is preparing a place for us. The Hillsong song, song, the Hillsong song that we sing sometimes, uh, who you say I am, in my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You know the one. That's what Jesus is preparing for us. See, we're carrying burdens that we sometimes don't even realize. What's troubling the hearts of Canadians these days? Quick research online, like everybody else. 51% are struggling to meet all the expenses every month. That's what they're concerned about. How am I going to pay my bills? 48% 
are actually concerned about their health, rightly or wrongly. Health is, is, is fragile. 36% of Canadians wonder about employment, losing jobs. And 25% are thinking about the long term, and this isn't the, those that are at 65 plus, this is the general population. 25% of them are wondering about retirement and, and, or thinking about what kind of long-term care will be there for me when I get to that place in life. We have our concerns. What are your concerns? What's troubling your heart these days? One of the concerns I have personally is, or is, is I have a friend that's dying. Just been told he's got less than four months to live. My heart breaks for him. His family, his grandchildren. He's in a loving environment. But what is going on in his mind as he tries to contemplate, what do I do in these last four months that I have left? And what can I do with the illnesses and the pain that, that he's living in. God has desired that no one should perish. Jesus is preparing a place. Is it just for the 12 disciples? I don't think so. Is it just for those who believe? There seems to be that teaching there. Um, not only f from uh, verse 1, but also later on in verse 23 of, the, of John 14, Jesus says, uh, says to them, If a man loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come into him and make our home with him. There's this, this idea that, that there's this preparation for this place is for those who believe. I'd also suggest that because it's God's desire, God's will, that none should perish, that maybe Jesus is preparing a place for every single person that's ever lived and will live and is living. Because you just never know. You just never know. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking, saying that I believe in universalism. I'm saying that I have a God who is all merciful. I don't know what God's desire is, what the plan is. There are those who make decisions to turn their back and say God doesn't exist, or that God exists, but God is not part of my life. I refuse to acknowledge God. I refuse to have relationship with God. And maybe God, God is, in his big heart, is just saying, I know that. I feel your pain. And just in case, I got a place ready for you. Just in case. That's our God. Chapter 17. Jesus gives the high priestly prayer. 
Again, this is all part of that evening together. And there he, pre he, he prays that there'd be unity between the Father and the Son. And he prays that there'd be unity between the Son and us. And that there'd be unity between me and Jesus. And there'd be unity between you and I. That God has this, that, that Jesus in, in his prayer is praying for us that, 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 that we will have the faith needed to get us through difficult times. And so, this dwelling or living with Jesus is what it's about. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know the way you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is the cynic. He's the skeptic. If we were doing Myers-Briggs, he's the, the, the 26 point out of 26 points. S, sensing. He lives in the concrete real world. You know, I cannot believe until I put my, hand, my, my fingers in the nail prints in his hand. That's Thomas. Thomas is the cynic who, who when Jesus says he's going to Jerusalem, set his heart towards Jerusalem, uh, he says, yeah, we might as well all go and join him and get killed too. That was his attitude, the cynic, the skeptic. And there he is with Jesus, and he says, he's, he, he, he raises the question. Um, we don't know where you're going. I don't know what the tone of his voice was, but maybe it's, we don't know where you're going. Like, uh, how can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, you know the way, because you know me. And I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'll get you there. So what's this passage about? It's not just about the sweet by and by. It's not just to comfort the faithful at funerals. It's not a sales pitch for evangelism where the good news is being boiled down to come follow Jesus and you'll get an eternal reward. It's about Jesus offering pastoral care to the ones he loves. Just as he continues to do today. For some of us right now, life is good. Our basic needs are met. We're loved by family, friends. Our bills are paid. Secure at work. Some of us are not quite so sure. We're not facing any real crisis at the moment. But there's insecure relationships. Don't know what the future holds. Maybe work is a little bit shaky, or maybe it's not where you feel like you should be at this time. And then there are some of us who are carrying just way too much burden. That it feels like darkness is all around us. That we can't make decisions. This feeling of pain, rejection. And maybe you're in the middle of a very difficult time in your life. And if you're not today, maybe you will be in the future. Or maybe you've experienced it in the past. And maybe you'll experience it again. Maybe you've lost your support group. Maybe you just don't know which direction to go in. Maybe self-doubt is beginning to take control. Maybe you're at the place where you can't find God anymore. And that happens to many people of faith. And Jesus is offering himself 
says, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm going to prepare a place, but I'm coming back. I'm, I'm going to be with you. This is all about experiencing Jesus' presence. When we're lacking in the basics of life, Jesus is the bread of life. When we need safety, Jesus is the door. When we need care and protection, Jesus is the good shepherd. When we are lost in darkness and can't find our way out, he's the light of the world. When we're facing death and without hope, he's the resurrection and the life. When we need direction and purpose, he is the way, the truth, and the life. When we feel unconnected and unrooted, he's the vine. He's going to prepare a place for us, but in the meanwhile, he's going to send us, and this is part of that bigger passage, he's going to send us the Holy Spirit. So we will never be apart from him. The power is connected. The comforter, the advocate is there. And so his last words in, in the whole of the Gospel of John maybe sums up with this, and I should have said this at the beginning and sat down. Two words. Follow me. Let's pray. God, we think about this Lent time. We think about Easter. We think about the Passion Week. We see that the story still speaks to us today. That we are troubled in our hearts, God, and sometimes we need to be reminded that, that you are with us, that you've gone to prepare a place, and you've sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, and that we are never, ever alone, and that you never abandon us, and that you are all that we need, that you provide for us. So God, in our times of doubt, in the times of darkness, in the times of wondering what it's all about, Help my unbelief and give me faith in you, we pray. Amen.